Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another game to look ahead to on the Penn State schedule. Indiana comes to town for a noon kickoff broadcast on ABC. Of course, we'll be live at Beaver Stadium. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you here on the podcast. Uh, Indiana, an interesting team as we'll get to, and we're going to get do that in depth as well with Zach Osterman of the Indy Star. He was kind enough to join Sean for about 20 minutes or so uh, to discuss the Hoosiers, who are really, uh, much like Minnesota to a lesser degree, enjoying a season that they have long waited for on their campus in Bloomington, 7-2. and two. They're going to be above 500 this season for the second time this century. They are ranked for the first time in 25 years. We'll talk a lot about them in a moment, but first, Sean, uh, bringing you in. Uh, this is a game last year that was pretty scary for Penn State. A couple of years ago, it was a kind of a celebration game. Saquon Barkley took the opening kickoff back for a touchdown. Deshaun Hamilton caught three touchdowns and became Penn State's all-time leading receptions leader in the process. Last year, Indiana ran 100 plays. You needed Trace McSorley to go run for 100 yards, and you needed Shaka Tony to come up with four sacks in the fourth quarter to be able to put the Hoosiers away on the road. It was a way for Penn State to snap a couple couple games losing streak, uh, and here we are, Penn State looking to work its way back from a, a, a really tough loss at Minneapolis and do something they were not able to do the last two seasons, Sean, and that is follow up that first loss of the year with a win. Right. We're going to talk a lot about Indiana, but to me, this game is, is how Penn State responds, how Penn State comes back. And, you know, they've, they've strung losses together in the last couple of seasons, and they certainly can't do that. Now they have the advantage of coming home. They have the advantage of playing Indiana, which to their credit, seven and two, having a heck of a year, um, especially by Hoosier standards. But, uh, I mean, you've got an opportunity to, to, to get your feet back under you, to recapture what you had. You're playing a defense that has been prone to giving up points. And, and honestly, that, that seven and two record. And I know we kind of said the same thing about Minnesota last week, but you've got Rutgers there. You got Maryland, Northwestern, uh, a, a win at Nebraska. Um, so not exactly the strongest seven and two, but to their credit, they've gone out, they've gotten the job done. Done. They've done some nice things, and and really, I mean, Penn State hasn't lost uh, to Indiana since 2013. It always seems to be interesting, but Penn State, you know, you're the more talented team. You're playing at home. Uh, you got to get your, you know, you got to get your your bearings straight and, and go with that. And I think if they do that. They can take care of business. We'll get to predictions later. Uh, but now we're talking Indiana. But first. But first, I see we're talking college football playoffs. Penn State slides from number four to number nine. Not unexpected. I actually thought they'd probably be right around 10. I think the important thing for Penn State here is they're in front of Oklahoma and Baylor. Um, they're in front of a couple of two loss SEC teams, which you probably expect. But uh, I mean, that's it's going to be interesting going into the last month of the season where, you know, uh, Oregon and Utah are on a collision course. You've got LSU and Georgia and Alabama's, you know, kind of had their soft landing, uh, uh, you know, where they're at. 
Clemson, I don't think is going to, you know, nobody's going to beat Clemson. But, I mean, it's just there's so many moving parts left to go. Penn State's schedule has set them up well. They've obviously impressed the committee outside of last weekend. So they're in a spot where they could climb back up into the mix. Don't really think they can get all the way to where they need to be. But, you know, if they take care of business, all of a sudden they're, they're, they're looking pretty good. It almost seems like the committee was trying to figure out where to put Minnesota, and then they were going to put Penn State one spot behind them. Minnesota ends up at number eight behind a couple. They, they listened to the post game podcast last week. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. That's exactly what I said would happen. I, you know, I still don't see Minnesota as a playoff team. That defense, I, I just don't think can hang with with the, those top teams in college football. But to their credit, I mean, they've done everything that they've needed to do. Had the fantastic win last weekend, and and you know they deserve to be a top ten team. How long they stay in, stay there, we'll see. They go to Kinnick this weekend. That's going to be very interesting, as it always is um so a lot of moving parts a lot of football left to be played but right now you know penn state's focus back on indiana yeah and and so looking ahead here everyone's going to look forward very quickly if you get through this game with the win towards what could possibly happen at ohio state and how maybe penn state could shake things up in the college football playoff picture and by the way a couple teams uh, a couple four teams actually ahead of penn state on a collision course to play each other you're probably looking at georgia and lsu in the sec championship looking at Utah and Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. Each of those teams right now ahead of Penn State. Alabama is the interesting one. They had a pretty soft landing at number five, considering the way LSU took it to them early. They rallied. The score ended up looking pretty good. They had they had a shot late against LSU on home turf, but I think Alabama fans should be pretty happy about where they end up. Looking ahead to Indiana here, not ranked in the college football playoff rankings, but they are ranked in the Associated Press top 25 poll for the first time since 1994. Um, as I said earlier, they finished above 500 only once this decade. That was 12 years ago. They're going to do it again. They have those seven wins already. And believe it or not, this was a remarkable stat to me, Sean. And I, I guess it makes sense. This is not a program that's piled up a bunch of wins. The four-game win streak they are on right now, the second longest in school history. That's remarkable. Uh, Tom Allen has done a heck of a job out there. Um, they've, they've recruited Florida a lot. They've gone out and, and done some nice things to play on the relationships that their staff has. But, uh, you know, that's a, that's a really tough place to win. He's done a great job. Seven and two, like I said. I mean, if you cap the season right now, Indiana fans would just be ecstatic over where they stand. And really, I mean, you look at the Big Ten and you've got some top, top teams. You've got some really, really bottom teams. And Indiana usually lump into that bottom group. And, you know, they're kind of right in the middle, hanging in there, doing a good job uh, with whatever they do. We can mention the schedule is what it is, but uh, they've come out and they've taken care of business and, and, and done a good job. They're scoring points. I think that's the big thing. It is, I think you have written down here, it's the first time they've scored 30-plus in six straight games during a single season. And, you know, that they have an offense to do it, and they've done that with two quarterbacks. Look, it's the second week, and again, I, I want to keep emphasizing to a lesser degree than what Minnesota is accomplishing right now with their 2019 season. But Indiana is is putting together, by their standards, a bit of a storybook year here. You know, the, these first for the program, they're on the verge of, of obviously uh, g- going to Happy Valley, and they understand what they could gain if they're somehow able to improve to eight and two. And I don't know Nittany Lions fans want to think about that possibility, but you know, second straight week, you're, you're kind of going up against a team that's got a lot of momentum on its side, and, and a team that's not used to having this kind of momentum on its side. Now that that's kind of a new look for Indiana. What is not a new look, Sean, is a lot of this offensive attack, which, again, last year ran 100 plays against Penn State in a win for the Nittany Lions in Bloomington. Uh, Their quarterback, it is not their starter going into the season. Michael Penix lost for the year. Uh, Collarbone shoulder injury. Very technical term. I'm not going to try to even pronounce it or describe it, but he is gone for the season because of that injury. Uh, And yet, you know, 
Peyton Ramsey has played a lot of football for Indiana. He's a guy who is now going up against Penn State for a third consecutive season. We saw both Penix and Ramsey play quarterback last year against the Nittany Lions. Penix was hurt in that game, so we saw more Ramsey. He was brought in in relief a couple years ago as the game was getting away from Indiana in Happy Valley. So, his third time against this Nittany Lions defense, you don't see a lot of quarterbacks three years in a row. I think they respect his mobility, and certainly this team, speaking with the players, the coaches, they know what the MO is for Indiana. They're going to pass the ball. They're going to pass the ball a lot. They lead the Big Ten in passing yards per game, and considering what we just saw happen in Minneapolis, uh, boy, oh boy, is that a challenge for Penn State to show that they have righted the ship in their coverage. Yeah, I just had to look it up. Peyton Ramsey, by the way, still a redshirt junior. He's approaching Wisconsin quarterback status here because he seems like he's been around forever. Um, kind of lost the starting job. Penix, I think, a more arm has a little bit more arm talent. You know what you're getting with Peyton Ramsey. He, he's improved. They're going to chuck it all over the place. I mean, this is a true spread where they're going to throw it around. They're going to you know, work a lot of the short and intermediate stuff, try to negate the pass rush, and that's been a successful formula against Penn State so far this year. Um, but they will also throw it down the field if you know if you give them a chance. If you you know, I think those fake bubbles and, and taking a shot down the field, I think has worked against Penn State in the past as well. So we'll see what Peyton Ramsey can do. I think the important thing here, um, you know, when you do get him in a drop back situation where you you do have time to get after the passer. Of course, we saw Shaka Tony had a lot of success last year. Got to stay in front of him. Got to uh, you know keep uh, keep your lanes. Keep a guy in front of him because you can't allow him to take off and get a first down with his legs. That uh, you know something that bit Penn State again last week. Um, something they've struggled with earlier in the season. Uh, just keep somebody in front of him, and I think you'll be okay. I think he's going to throw the ball a lot. I think Penn State's secondary, you know, was they they showed some things last week against Minnesota that you've got some spots that you can attack. We talked, or excuse me, uh, Tom Allen uh, and and his offensive coordinator talked a little bit about this week about, about you didn't really see the the blueprint for beating Penn State, but Minnesota put a little bit of that out there. So I would not be shocked if they did some some similar things to to the Gophers uh, last weekend. I'm, I, I know I certainly would. Indiana does an excellent job spreading the ball around in its passing attack. They have six players who have surpassed 20 receptions on the season. Uh, Conversely, Penn State, by the way, has three players who have gone over 20 receptions through nine games. But it starts with Wap Fillior. Uh, This is a guy who has 59 catches. That's 26 more than anyone else on the Hoosiers. 813 receiving yards. The average is about 14 yards per catch. Three touchdowns, that number doesn't stand out compared to the rest of them. But what does stand out, Sean, as I'm looking through the season that Fillior has put together in three of the last five games, he has gone double-digit receptions, uh, two of them, 14 catches, most recently going on the road October 26th in a seven-point win. He had 14 catches for 178 yards at Nebraska, a monster game. And earlier this year in a game they lost 40-31 to at Michigan State. And by the way, at that point, the Spartans were ranked in the top 25. He had 14 catches, 142 yards, and two of his touchdowns on the year. So this is a guy that is dialed in right now. You just gave up 200 yards to a, a, a impressive receiver in Rashad Bateman at Minnesota. You gave up two one two guys over 100 yards, one over 200 yards. And I think this is obviously the, the player that you circle among this group as you can't let him go and, and bust off that kind of a performance against you on Saturday. You're absolutely right. Peyton Hendershot as well, the tight end. Uh, this is a kid that Penn State recruited 
throughout the process, and it looked like he may be on the verge of a flip. He came for an official visit, didn't pick up an offer. I think if he picks up that offer, he picks Penn State, but that's uh, kind of moot right now. Nine games, nine, uh, 29 catches, 393 yards, and four touchdowns. So they, they can spread it out. They can get the ball to a lot of people, and they can make it work. In the backfield, Stevie Scott, uh, slipping my mind who he was committed to at one point. Tyler, you got that? Slipping my mind as well, but I have Google, so keep talking, and I'll let you know. It it was right. That's a Rutgers joke. Um, he's a, he's another oh. one of those running backs formerly committed to I've Rutgers, lost track, having a ton Sean. of success I've, in the big. There's so many. Tell. I just it's just, there's so we got to in the off season we're going to make a list here. I've, um, I've, I've, yeah, Scott, Jonathan Taylor and, and Saquon Barkley topped the list for those who do not know. Stevie Scott, the leading rusher, 754. Or excuse me, 737 yards and nine touchdowns, averaging about five yards a carry. Um, the run game is not the thing that you fear when it comes to Indiana, but really, you know, it can help them move the sticks, can help them get into a rhythm, can keep them, uh, you know, can it can keep uh, defenses off guard. So I think we'll see a lot of Stevie Scott. I don't know that he's the guy that you center on when you're talking about that. Wap Fillier is a, a tremendous uh, asset on the outside. So I don't know that when you're comparing this Indiana team to this Minnesota team, that they don't have the guys that's going to go up and make those plays that the Minnesota receivers um, made. But still, it's a solid group of skill players. And Scott is a guy that that he's the bell cow. It's it's on question. He is far and away their their leader in rusher rushing attempts, and and the quarterbacks are right there in the mix uh, behind him. But no other running back has really dug into what he's been asked to do out of the backfield. And by the way. Capable receiver, Sean, 23 catches on the season, including a score. That's a pretty nice total for nine games in. And in three of the last four games, Scott has gone over 100 yards. So uh, he's someone who has has been called upon to carry the load out of that backfield. And he's done a nice job thus far. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Defensively, uh, you flip it over, only 20 sacks, three interceptions for this season. Although, you know, they've done a nice job in the last month of the season of getting where they need to get and, and controlling, the, uh, you know, opposing offenses. Part of that's the schedule. Part of that's, you know, coming together. Uh, I believe the defensive coordinator has has done a nice job of sort of turning that around. They did give up 40 points to Michigan State in late September. That net, That's a number I can't get out of my mind after watching Michigan State struggle to essentially score a touchdown against Penn State a couple of weeks ago. Um, so there are holes in that defense. I think it, it presents a really good opportunity for Penn, Penn State's offense to get back and, and, you know, get the wheels going, um, break off a couple of scores. And if you do that early, I think you're, you're in a really good spot against this Indiana defense. Indiana two and two on the road this season, but they have given up points. Fifty one at Ohio State. We'll excuse them on that. Ohio State scoring a bunch of points against everybody, but yeah, forty at Michigan State that stands out. Twenty eight points at Maryland that also stands out, and then they gave up thirty one at Nebraska in a game they won thirty eight to thirty one. With this defense, I think unlike last week where where clearly Antoine Winfield was exactly as advertised, he changed the complexion of the game because of how he attacked Penn State, the plays he made there. I don't necessarily see that presence uh, on this Indiana defense. Marcelino Ball is a pretty good player at the defensive backfield. A couple of their linebackers, Raquan Jones, Micah McFadden, having nice seasons. But, you know, th- there's not a sack specialist here. The, the team peaks at-, at three sacks for an individual. A couple guys have three sacks. Um, but-, but really, I-, I think, you know, look, three interceptions, 20 sacks in nine games. That kind of tells you a little bit about it. But I don't see any kind of uh, game wrecker, as maybe Franklin, a term that we hear from him sometimes, in this Indiana defense, where I think Minnesota, uh, obviously they played tremendous team defense, but you could see what a player like Antoine Winfield, who is very much getting the NFL draft buzz now as his, se- as his season continues, he-, he definitely altered the course of that Penn State matchup last Saturday. 
Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, Marcelino Ball is a player that I like. It's a name that I love. Um, but really, oh, yeah. you just look across the board. And it's just not as deep. It's not you know they've got some pretty good athletes in the secondary, but nobody that really scares you like Winfield did last week. With special teams, their numbers are good. I mean, they, uh, Logan Justice, the kicker, is perfect on field goals. I believe twelve of twelve. Um, he's a two-time Grozel Award semifinalist, so you know he can kick. Hayden Whitehead, the punter, uh, is pretty good too, about 42 yards a punt. What's interesting to me is I looked up some numbers today. Their special teams efficiency, and when you're you know 12 of 12 on field goals, when you're averaging you know pretty good on on punts, their special teams efficiency isn't as high as I thought it would be. So be interesting to see how those re- return numbers stack up, how those coverage numbers stack up. But the guys that are kicking the ball, they can get the job done. Yeah, one of five kickers who is perfect on field goals this season. I don't know what the minimum for that is, but as you said, he's he's hit 12 of them. Um, and then additionally, the punter leading the FBS, 36% of his punts landing inside the 10 for Hayden Whitehead, career high with that 41.9 average. And, and two of the best to do that in the position, Blake Gillikin, Whitehead going at it. I know no one wants to see a punter battle ensue in Beaver Stadium, but uh, it's a strong suit for both of these teams. And and yeah, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. For more detail, fortunately, Sean, uh, you were able to catch up with Zach. And, and I know uh, from what you told me, uh, this is a guy who certainly knows his way around the Hoosiers football program. Yeah, Zach's been covering Indiana for a long, long time. He used to work at 24-7 Sports. He's been uh, a friend of mine for for a while. He's actually staying at my house this weekend. So uh, really uh, happy to get his insight. We talk offense, defense, a little bit of uh, big picture program. And then uh, he talks a little bit about the quarterback. So we're going to take a little break here, come back with Zach, and, and talk a little Hoosiers. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We now go to the phone lines to IU Insider of the Indie Star, Zach Osterman. He's a former co-worker at 24-7 Sports. Of course, he's transitioned to the Indie Star where he covers Indiana basketball and football. We, of course, want to talk football because this is a Penn State podcast. Um, but Zach, thanks for uh, coming on. Can't wait to see you this weekend. Oh, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. I'm not looking forward to my 30 minute connection in Philly, but I'm uh, I'm looking forward to getting to State College. Of course, I guess the the catch 22 there is you know I may not get to State College because the 30 minute connection in Philly is like a five minute connection at most airports. That's true. So. That's a that's a heck of a challenge in front of you. Heck of a challenge in front of the Hoosiers this weekend. Although they are seven and two, you and I were talking a little bit beforehand. How good is this team? Uh, the schedule is favorable and that may be favorable to say that it's favorable because it's it's just hasn't been very good you and i were talking before still trying to figure out where this hoosier team sits in the uh in the big 10 uh i guess uh i guess where they fit in the big 10 yeah it's i mean like it's interesting to kind of think about the way the season has unfolded from a sort of perception perspective 
you know, in the preseason, people would just ask me, you know, what do you think football this year? I'd say, well, I think they're going to be substantially better than last year, but I think they could still go five and seven because, you know, they um, when you looked at their schedule in the preseason, you said, well, there's a lot of hype around Maryland and Purdue's got a ton of momentum and going to Nebraska won't be easy. And Northwestern just won the West. And you sort of felt like the schedule didn't do them any favors. And then obviously it, a lot of that has transpired to not be the case. Purdue's just been crippled by injuries. Nebraska's a mess for a lot of different reasons. Northwestern, Lord knows what kind of happened there, but Indiana's taken advantage of all that, you know, and, and is effectively a dropped pick six in East Lansing away from eight and one. And it's so where maybe a month ago, five weeks ago, we were sort of asking, okay, where in the Big Ten does Indiana fit? Are they better than the, the bad teams, which probably is enough to get them to be a, a bowl-eligible team? Are they, you know, are they in the bottom four? Are they in the next four? Are they in somewhere in the four after that? Um, I think that now, and, and this is, you know, it's maybe not, it's not familiar territory for Indiana fans, and I don't say that flippantly, but, you know, when, when teams are bad, nobody really asks a lot of questions about them. They just say, like, oh, yeah, just, you know. Usually when you're four and eight, you're four and eight for a lot of the same reasons every single week. When you're good, people keep asking how much better you might be because the, the, you keep kind of raising expectations week after week. And now this week and next week, I think in particular, the question is kind of, OK, is Indiana sort of the best of the rest in the Big Ten and, and taking advantage of a schedule that for the first time in like it feels like ages has fallen favorably for Indiana in the conference? Or can Indiana win one of these two games and then – I think you're reasonably allowed to put Indiana at the table with everybody in the league that's not in the playoff New Year's Six conversation in terms of, well, you know, they're an eight, nine win team. They should be ranked. They should be going to a, a good bowl game. And, and there's a lot of, you know, kind of promise for the future. Well, if we work backwards in that schedule, you I mean, you you win at home against Northwestern 34 to three. You win at Nebraska. And I know Nebraska is not very good this year, but a win at Nebraska, if you're Indiana, is, is really good. You win at Maryland. You score 34 points. You, you, you score 35 against Rutgers, score 31 at Michigan State. I mean, you lose the game, but still you score 31 at Michigan State. So obviously this offense is the thing that you, you, you have to turn to if you're Indiana. They've had a couple of, uh, of changes to, due to injury, but still, I mean, you're putting up 30 points a game outside of that Ohio State game in the Big Ten. So they're doing something right. The offense, I mean, that's been maybe the biggest change. And um, it's easy to say when you talk about the numbers and, and obviously offense is, you know, one third of what, what you know, in terms of all the faces of football. But it's just by any measure, Indiana's better offensively. They're They're not running the ball quite as well, but a lot of that is because they maybe aren't force feeding the run game because they don't need to. It's also gotten a lot better as Big Ten play has really kind of accelerated. The passing game is substantially better. Um, you know, you talked about injuries. Indiana's alternated back and forth between Peyton Ramsey and Michael Penix. But if you if you look at either of those players' numbers, they are head and shoulders above what Ramsey was last season as Indiana's starting quarterback and, and basically all but full-time quarterback um, in terms of you know, explosive plays, yards per attempt, attempts per interception. You know, I mean, just 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 any number of measures. I think it, it, I believe this is still true that if you kind of took their numbers, each of their numbers individually, and extrapolated them out over the course of an entire season, with them being the lone starting quarterback getting all the snaps, they'd lead the Big Ten in passing yards. Um, the offensive line has endured a couple of injuries, including a, a four-year starter left tackle. Um, and is is allowed, I think, the fewest sack yards and the second fewest sacks in the league. 
Um, you know, just anecdotally, Kalen DeBoer, Indiana's new offensive coordinator, has been really good in the rhythm and the balance of his play calling. You know, he's, he's kind of shifted from strength to strength a lot this season. Um, Indiana's got a ton of different pass catchers. That, you know, the big talking point is Watt Fillier, who I think still leads the Big Ten in receiving yards. Um, I haven't looked at the numbers since the bye, but um, you've also got Peyton Hendershot in there, a really good receiving tight end. You've got two big wideouts at the boundaries, uh, and Nick Westbrook and Donovan Hale, a backup to those guys, and Ty Freifogel, who continues to grow as a junior. And so it's just it's an offense where, unlike last year, you know, if, if Indiana could run the ball last season, it was okay because that would open things up. Just the old traditional: if you can run the ball, you know, and, and your back defense is off, you can you can work. If Indiana could not do that consistently, or if Stevie Scott was out of the game, the offense was almost non-existent. The offense was just sort of snap and hope essentially. This year, as teams have tried to wait to take different things away, whether it's loading the box to stack up against Stevie Scott, who's had some really good performances in Big Ten play, or it's pushing bodies out to the boundaries to try and deal with those big wide receivers, or it's sitting more guys down to try and take away the screen game that was really effective against, you know, Ball State and against Michigan State. DeBoer has moved really well kind of to the next thing and the next thing and always been from a play calling perspective one step ahead of just about everybody bar Ohio State as you said which sort of you know the the joke I've made is it's like the the score from the Russian judge I think this season Indiana's kind of just allowed to throw it out and um, it's going to be interesting to see what it looks like though this weekend and, and next weekend they're at Penn State this weekend obviously and then they host Michigan next weekend those are two good defenses they're not necessarily maybe as good as Ohio State's but they're still pretty good um, you know, what does Indiana do against those teams? Because then maybe we get a better sense of like, okay, where exactly does this team fit in the firmament of who's good and, and who's bad and who's really good and, and, you know, who's just kind of solidly middle of the road in the Big Ten? Your Penix is broken. Uh, Peyton Ramsey has come on for, as I guess, would you call him a backup? You know, he started a bunch of games, he's thrown a bunch of passes. Tom Allen said sort of that they have a couple of different playbooks or package. I'm not sure how he worded it, but he mentioned that it was kind of different playing with each. I mean, does it change that much when you're going with Peyton Ramsey? Because it doesn't really seem like, you know, g- given the, the the structure of an offense, given how they've they, they've really stuck with what they've done for so long, it, it can't change that much, right? No, it, it doesn't. And um, I actually did kind of a, a film room sort of, you know, piece this week talking about uh, Ramsey is more. Th- I mean, like it's funny because at the beginning of the season, Ramsey lost his job to Michael Penix, as you mentioned. Um, if his career had ended right then, I don't know if he would have had the requisite number of passing attempts. But in terms of percentage, he would have been the Big Ten's all-time leading passer in terms of completion percentage or all-time leading quarterback in terms of completion percentage. That number has gone up substantially this season. Last season, he completed 66% of his passes. This season, he's completing 72%. And that's over 157 attempts. So as you said, it's it's not – he's not been the starter, but it's not like he's only played in three games. I think he's – I want to say he's appeared in seven games this season. Um, he's more efficient. He's getting a greater yards per – uh, yards per attempt and and yards per catch average than he ever has before. That was always kind of the big thing leveled at Ramsey. He was very accurate, but could you get him to sort of, you know, throw outside of his comfort zone, I guess, a little bit for lack of a better term. And I mean, 
the numbers spell out that he's getting more explosive plays, more plays of 10, 20, 30 yards, kind of if you measure it on a per attempt basis this year than he was last year. Anecdotally, there's also uh, one of the the plays that I highlighted highlighted in that piece was um, a throw he had along the sideline to Donovan Hale, who's like a 6'4", 6'5", redshirt senior wide receiver. And it was against Northwestern. It was in the second half. Indiana was comfortably ahead. Um, and Ramsey took a snap out of the shotgun and he kind of went real quickly right to left. If you could sort of watch his, his head move right to left through his checks. And as soon as he saw Hale one-on-one, uh, on the sideline, he just chucked it. And I mean, it wound up being a really nice catch by Donovan Hale, I think about 25, 27 yards downfield. But from Ramsey's perspective, it was more that there was no hesitation. And I think that was always kind of the thing. He had another moment like that against Maryland where it looked like his one read was a back shoulder throw to Nick Westbrook and single coverage in the corner of the end zone that wound up being a really good catch for a big touchdown in that game. You always felt like Ramsey had no trouble with, you know, the 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 intangible part of being a quarterback. He's probably actually more mobile than Michael Penix or at least more comfortable running the ball than Michael Penix. Um, you know, he's, he's, he commands the offense. Well, he's poised all those different things. And, and he's certainly very accurate. It's, can you get him to just be willing to push the ball downfield when the options are there? When, when, you know, when it's there for the taking without thinking about it, without maybe seeing a year ago, maybe he sees Hale in one-on-one, but he tries to look back for something else and only throws it when he realizes it's it's his best option. And by that point, it's, you know, it's too developed out. The corner's gotten better position, whatever. Um, so he, he's never going to have the arm strength Penix has. I mean, Penix is a much, much more strong-armed quarterback than the average. And a big part of the reason I think he won the job from Ramsey in the preseason was his arm strength and his ability to kind of use his, you know, leverage his arm strength to make some big throws in this offense. But that doesn't mean that Ramsey is the same quarterback he was a year ago that just was never seemed comfortable pushing the ball down the field. And I think that's maybe the biggest area where, you know, the road has kind of risen to meet this sort of dual quarterback system Indiana's wound up with because of the injuries is that Ramsey has been able to at least be effective enough throwing the ball a little bit further downfield, you know, depths of 15 yards, 19 yards, 25 yards um, than he was last year. So that it's not like you have to throw that whole area of the playbook kind of to one side when it's Ramsey and not Penix. Defensively, uh, they've kind of been all over the map. You said kind of throw out that Michigan State game a little bit, but some 40 points from Michigan State. And oh, I, no, I, I meant Ohio State. No, the, the Michigan State game was probably one of their worst days of the year. Um, that, it looks bad. I mean, just on the box score, whatever it is, uh, 40 points to a, a Michigan State def- or offense that struggled to score basically a touchdown against Penn State. Wh- where does this Indiana defense, how far have they come from that? Um, we, we mentioned the schedule, but how far has that defense come from that? And, and really, what are the realistic expectations? I mean, this seems like a game on Saturday. You could see a lot of points. Yeah, that Michigan State game was an interesting one because Indiana did what it said it wanted to do, which was take Elijah Collins away. Like Elijah Collins was a complete non-factor. Michigan State's ground game, a complete non-factor that entire kind of afternoon. But Lewerke throws for 300 yards, I think either three or four touchdowns. I don't have the the box score right in front of me. but um, And Indiana just could not slow down Stewart and and just, I mean, well, certainly Brian Lewerke, but just basically him and that, that experienced group of pass catchers he had at all. Um, that day. And, and there were a couple of missed chances. You know, I think there was a, a, a there was a dropped interception. There was a, a fumble that Indiana probably should have recovered and didn't. And, and again, it was literally one of those games where if one or two things turn in a different direction, Indiana probably um, wins that game. But that was 
I would say, the worst day Indiana's had defensively this season, barring Ohio State, which does feel kind of like its own thing. Um, since then, I think one of the – I mean, there have been a couple really commanding performances. They shut out Rutgers. That's not a surprise. They only had Rutgers one passing yard, which, you know, it, it is grimly entertaining in its own way. Um, you know, they they – they only, they only allowed Northwestern three points, and I know Northwestern's been terrible offensively this season, but it is interesting that Northwestern then turns around and, and scores, I think, three touchdowns against Purdue. So you feel like maybe that's, again, you know, emblematic of a separation between Indiana and whatever the bottom of the conference is this year. Um, but you even look at that, you know, the Maryland game, they got gashed for explosive plays in the first half. They came in at halftime, basically diagnosed the fact that Maryland had pulled out a bunch of stuff that they'd never seen on film from Maryland this season. They only gave up 10 points in the second half, or excuse me, seven points in the second half of that game. They really struggled in the first half against Nebraska, made adjustments at halftime, only gave up 10 points in the second half of that game. So I think there is probably an argument for Indiana's ability to adjust. And this is still a young defense. It's it's getting old quickly um, in the sense that lots of sophomore freshmen, sophomores, juniors, but lots of guys that have played a lot of snaps for their age. And so, you know, you're, you're starting to get a lot of guys in there that, um, you know, maybe don't play like sophomores, don't prepare like sophomores, practice like sophomores, whatever, you know, sort of cliche term you want to use. But again, I think as with the offense, this week and next week is a different test because, you know, if, if you're Indiana, um, you've not seen a quarterback like Sean Clifford in a long time, you know, based probably since Justin Fields. You know, you've, you've not seen a playmaker like K.J. Hamler probably since that Ohio State game. Um, and I don't know if it helps Indiana or not what happened to Penn State last week. I think one thing that was interesting was Kane Womack, Indiana's defensive coordinator, said it, at very least it sort of probably helped him in his preparation to see what it looked like when Penn State struggled because he felt like he didn't have film of that, that like that Penn State obviously that had had better games and worse games, but that he didn't feel like he had film of a game where he could just say like this clearly bothered Penn State. This clearly got Sean Clifford uncomfortable and out of rhythm for an extended stretch of time. But – you know, he said that in the sort of in the the, the wider framework of, of talking about all of the ways that Penn State can hurt you and, and how good Penn State can be offensively. I do think if Indiana's got a shot in this game, then it probably is, as you, as you described. I think it is a game that's a little bit more high scoring. Um, I think this is a defense that's certainly become more opportunistic as the season's gone on. You go back to like uh, Nebraska and Maryland, 28 points off of four turnovers in those two games, both of Indiana's turnovers against Maryland and both of its sacks are in that second half. It is a defense that's starting to create game changing plays more often, which is much more kind of, I think what Tom Allen has in mind with his defense than, you know, thinking about smothering teams, 260 yards of total offense a game, that sort of thing. Um, but just like, I, as I said, just like the offense, these next two weeks, and I think this weekend in particular, are a, a real sort of litmus test for, okay, is this a defense that's good enough to win seven games against the, the, the sort of bottom third of the Big Ten? Or is this a defense that's good enough to prop up a team that winds up having a generationally successful season for a place like Indiana? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, is there is there one thing that this defense has been prone to? I mean, I, you haven't seen it been tested all that much over the last month of the season, but is there, you know, a spot where you're looking at Penn State and say, hey, 
Penn State's pretty good in, in this situation or in this group of, uh, of personnel uh, matchings. Um, and is there a spot that you really think Indiana's probably prone to this weekend? I think, I mean, it's, it's easy in one way to say pass defense. I mean, I think a lot of Indiana's best athletes are, are in their secondary, but they're also younger guys and therefore in, in some cases smaller guys. You know, I mean, I think if you ask me, for Indiana's most productive cornerback pairings this season, I'm talking to you about freshmen and sophomores a lot of the time, not always, but a lot of the time. And I also think, I mean, like, listen, it's, it's Tom Allen's not running the defense anymore. Uh, It's Kane Womack's defense now as a coordinator, but it's still Tom Allen's defensive philosophy. And he has always wanted this to be a defense that created turnovers. That's, that's always been, and, and every coach says they want that, but I mean, he builds this defense to create turnovers. He doesn't build this defense to try and stifle opponents. If anything, I, you know, going back to his year as defensive coordinator before he was hired as head coach, you know, there was a lot of talk about how basically this defense was comfortable playing at a no huddle tempo and did not mind having to go fast and giving up some yards that it was, it was willing to get driven on a little bit in exchange for creating sort of game changing play sacks, turnovers, you know, big penalties that kill drives, things like that. And you look at Penn State, they don't turn the ball over a ton. Um, I'm literally looking at the stats right now. They're joint third in the league and fewest turnovers this season. Um, I don't believe they're a particularly highly penalized team. I don't think they make a ton of mistakes. And so it's it's one where, like, at some level, you sort of wonder if there isn't going to come a point in this game, especially going back to a game like Michigan State where Indiana stops the run very effectively, more effectively than you expected it to, but then struggles through the air. Is there going to, are there going to come moments in this game where Indiana's basically just sort of got to put its athletes up against Penn State's athletes and, and see if it can't make a couple plays? And, and listen, I think this is a much improved Indiana team from the last few years, but um, – you know, if you're talking about trying to go toe to toe, sort of player for player with Penn State in Happy Valley, no less, that's a that's a very big challenge. And so I would I would think, of course, again for the Michigan State game, I, I said if Indiana shut down Michigan State's run game, it had a good chance. Um, but I would think if Indiana can somehow either get Clifford off his rhythm, or just generally keep both arms around Penn State's passing attack, it's it's got a chance on Saturday. But I recognize that's easier said than done. Zach Osterman will be in Happy Valley this weekend. I know this because he's staying in my guest room. Uh, we can't wait to see him. Uh, always great to see Zach. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Zach. And I guess we'll, we'll probably catch up with you at the game. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Always enjoy talking to our Big Ten brethren. Zach is a good friend and a good interview. I hope you took the time to check that out. Even uh, the Slitter Rutgers jab in there. I know you haven't listened to it yet, but it's a little Easter egg for you there, Tyler. Uh, getting back to the game, uh, Penn State's keys to the game. I mean, not much different than, than we've seen in the past. I mean, you got to, to me, it's about getting, you know, getting set, protecting the football early. You know, they had the early turnover against Indy, or excuse me, against Minnesota. Don't give Indiana a reason to believe. I think this is a, a game that you can set up well if you put a couple of touchdowns on the board in the first quarter, the first quarter and a half of the game. Of course, anytime you're putting up a, a couple of touchdowns that early, you put yourself in a good position. I think Penn State can get back into its flow. I think it can get to, you know, I think it can move the ball running and passing. And that defense, uh, you know, it's a lot of it's going to fall in the secondary. So, 
Uh, quick start, of course, um, you know, putting some points up on the board early, and then that secondary coming together. As I said in my second look, I, I don't know that it was a, as much on the corners as you would think watching that game. Three Castro Fields got turned around a couple times. Of course, John Reed had the, the penalty against Minnesota, but the safety play has got to be better. I mean, there's no question about it, especially, you know, and we're going to do it again, looking ahead to Ohio State next week. If they don't get better safety play, they're in trouble. Spoke with Tim Banks, Penn State safety coach, uh, earlier today on Thursday, and he certainly they are aware it was a look in the mirror kind of week, and uh, for him it was uh, as much about wrapping up when you get a shot as it was uh, preventing the ball from from reaching the receiver. Uh, obviously, a big issue for them last week was was allowing Minnesota to catch the ball in plenty of space and so many yards after the catch. You know, I, I think we're gonna find out pretty quick about where Penn State's mindset is. The players are saying the right thing all week, as you'd expect. Jahan Dotson, Pat Fryermuth on Wednesday had a chance to speak with both those guys, and they said guys are flying around out there. They're responding well, but hey, last year, you know, leading up to the Michigan State game, we heard it was their best week of practice, like maybe ever, and and they lost the second straight game, and that happened two years ago. And I know people are going to say, well, it's a different team this year, can't really compare it, but you know what, we we got to see that if they can avoid falling into that same trap. And look, they got Ohio State; they know that game is the next week, but this is not an Indiana team that you can you know take your foot off the gas pedal for the first half and figure you can fi- uh, find a way to win it in the second half. The Hoosiers have been on a roll; I'd expect them to come in. Uh, and know what they stand again and, and not really uh, take any time to get their game going. So I think Penn State's got to come out and be the aggressor and get that. You know, it's kind of what they've been about. Last week was the was the exemption from that. They have been a team that has gotten out to these hot starts, especially in the Big Ten. And then they've hit some of these mid-games, uh, you know, or late-game lulls where you wonder what happened. But they have been a team that has come out of the gates well. And so that's going to start with Sean Clifford here coming off of, uh, you know, he's under the microscope more than he ever has been. He's facing the kind of scrutiny that he has not faced uh, in his entire football career. And he's got to be the first guy to kind of set that tone, answer the bell. But I think defensively, you talk about a prideful unit, a group that really since last spring has been talking about what they could be. They have been that for much of the season, but they took a shot to the gut last week. So very curious to see how Penn State comes out defensively. Go out and make some plays. Get your get get in after Peyton Ramsey. Uh, it's I think it's going to be another situation where Indiana is going to look to work the ball out of the pocket very quickly, prevent Penn State's passing passing attack, uh, pass rush to get any kind of rhythm. Uh, but you know, Penn State, you, you got the elite talent on your side of the football field defensively uh, against this Indiana offense, and and you know I think you know, if. They can come out, flex their muscles in that regard. It'll go a long way. But I think we'll find out very quickly, Sean, how this week really was for Penn State because it'll be apparent in the body language. And let's face it, the fans are going to be restless in Beaver Stadium. They are going to be behind this team uh, to start this matchup. But, but I do think if Penn State comes out, looks like they're sleepwalking or looks like they're still carrying linger, lingering effects from what happened in Minneapolis, you know, the crowd's going to voice its displeasure or it's going to get quiet. It's going to be a cold day out there in State College, and and so you know I think it's going to be very important to see you know really from the first possession, first couple possessions, how Sean Clifford has reacted and how this Penn State defense has reacted. Yeah, defensively, I know we've talked about Clifford a lot, so I'm just going to let that one go at this point. But defensively, I mean, you look at it from every level. I mean, that defensive line, you know, has assigned sort of underproduced. Now, you know, Indiana's going to do what they can to, to neutralize them. Got to get their hands up. I mean, that's been one of the the, the point of emphasis that I've had this year is. 
not as many tip balls at the line as you probably could have, not as many many as you would like to have. Um, there's a lot of focus on getting to the passer. They've been successful at that at some times. Other times, like last week, not as much. Although, you know, Shaka Tony, uh, I'm watching that game a second time, played a pretty good game. Um, so, so that's what you're thinking from the defensive line. That second, you know, that second level, those linebackers, you're going to see a lot of, uh, they want to stay in their base. They want to keep Cam Brown on the field. Um, but Minnesota, or excuse me, Indiana is going to try and spread them out, do a lot of things, get them moving all over the place. So I'm interested to see how Brent Pry handles that. And then to that secondary, those safeties. I mean, if you're going to play three safeties, which Penn State looks like they're, they're willing to do, they're going to move Lamont Wade into that star nickel role and let him play some corner and let him play some safety and, and you know, put Brisker back there. Those guys have got to get over, make those plays. I think really uh, uh, one of those situations that you could see arising here is, you know, that fake screen game that Indiana may have going up the sideline. Pitt did it really successfully this year. If those safeties can't get over to that hole in that cover too, they're going to have a problem and, and Indiana may hit a big play because of it. Now, the talent level, not quite what they saw with Minnesota last week. And of course, they're coming home. That's going to help a lot. So this defense, I mean, I think I don't know that we're going to see a dominant performance. I don't know that it's set up to 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 really um, be that for this defense. But they, I think they can st- take a step forward, uh, a step back forward uh, again this year, or excuse me, this weekend. I'm struggling all over the place right here, but I think they can take a step forward this weekend after what they experienced last weekend. Uh, I, I see a lot of uh, Indiana trying to do what Minnesota did, but I don't know that they have the horses to pull it off. But we'll see. There's a lot of pressure on that secondary this weekend, especially those safeties. Micah Parsons, three consecutive games with uh, 10 or more sacks. Uh, Jan Johnson coming off of one of his finest performances in a Penn State uniform. I know you, you've fo- focused in on him as a positive in your second look uh, piece on the Minnesota game. And I thought Cam Brown flashed about as much as any defender uh, during the course of that Golden Gophers matchup in terms of, of making some splash plays that they needed. Offensively, I'm going to sound like Captain Obvious here, but feed Pat Fryermuth. This guy is on a roll right now. It seems like every time they get the ball to him, you're moving the chains, picking up a first down. I know KJ Hamler is the one where you think a dozen, te- dozen catches, a dozen catches, or a dozen touches any way you can during the course of the game. But to me, this offense is at its finest when Fryermuth is a focal point. Um, I know a lot of folks are going to say, uh, well, isn't a key getting that third wide receiver to come on? Look, I think that's a nice luxury if it happens. I don't think it's necessarily an X factor for Penn State in terms of of, of going out and winning this game offensively. But to me, Pat Fryermuth, the vocal point, going quickly to the offensive backfield, Sean. Noah Kane, more active participant in practice than what we saw last week. Uh, again, last week he went through pregame warmups. Looked like he was maybe going to play against Minnesota. Didn't happen. Can't give you an answer. Can't give our listeners an answer on, on uh, if Noah Kane will play this week, uh, but, but certainly seems closer to that than he did last week. And Trent Gordon also, who did not travel, uh, the cornerback, he's missed some time, did not travel last week. Uh, they brought Joey Porter instead, who did not need to play, the true freshman. Uh, we'll see where Gordon stands as well, because cornerback, you've obviously been, been forced to play a lot of, of DJ Brown, a lot of two true freshmen with Keaton Ellis, Marquise Wilson. So uh, a couple of, of injury issues to monitor there heading into the noon kickoff yeah I agree with you on Hamler and Firemuth I mean bread and butter I mean if you're trying to get back to what was so successful in the first eight games of the season just go right back to those guys Um, I think they can run the ball I think Journey Brown can have some success against this team so we'll see what happens and and again you know Penn State rode the hot hand of Journey Brown last week Noah Kane, you know, I'm just, I, I wouldn't set your expectations so high. I mean, we saw him a little bit of practice on Wednesday, but really not a ton. Um, you, you, you want him to get as healthy as, as possible. And, you know, Journey Brown pretty, pr- played a pretty good game against Minnesota. So 
we'll see what happens with those guys. Um, I do think it's a, it's an opportunity for Penn State to put some points on the board. Uh, again, work through some of those hiccups that they've had earlier in the season, especially that second to, to third quarter lull that uh, has you know stressed them so much. Um, but you've got an opportunity uh, and a good one to, to bounce back, and I think they do that this weekend. Prediction time, Penn State, Indiana, again, a noon kickoff. Um, surprisingly, I'm going, I checked out all the predictions. I, I'm one of the more narrow margins here, but uh, I've got 34 to 20 Penn State winning this one. I think KJ Hamler goes over 100 receiving yards for the third time in four weeks. Um, I do think Indiana will have some success offensively, but I, I don't think you'll see some of the porous defensive pass coverage that we saw last week against a more talented Minnesota team. Um, so I, my end result there, a 14-point win for Penn State with them putting 34 points on the board. I have Penn State scoring 38, giving up 17. Now, I, I, you know, that sort of recency bias against that defense, uh, you know, you wouldn't expect them to give up 17 points to Indiana at any point. But uh, looking at our average was 40 to 18. So, you know, I'm right in that area. I get, in fact, a little bit uh, short of that area. So um, our guys on uh, Lions 24-7 with Fight on State, apparently very confident in the Nittany Lions' ability to bounce back. Mark Brennan has 41-17 as a 14-and-a-half-point line. Um, I don't know if it's a situation where – Penn State comes out angry and just lays the wood to them, but I, I still think it can be a comfortable win for the Nittany Lions. That would obviously be the best case scenario, not just for Penn State fans, but for that college football playoff committee to see them come out, uh, not not fool around with the situation, drop the hammer on the Hoosiers, and head to Ohio State. Some style points could help Penn State right now, and uh, this is a game where if you go down the wire like we saw last year and you need someone to play hero and come up with a defensive stop in the final minute, uh, it's going to send up more alerts, I think, about where Penn State maybe is right now over the course of the season. We'll find out how they bounce back from their first loss. Um, Sean, 14 and a half, I got it under, I guess, but uh, I could certainly see it going more towards uh, your train of thought. Right, and they got to go for touchdowns. I mean, this is uh, this is what cost them last week. I mean, you, you're turning th- uh, seven into three really quick, and that's something that has to be remedied, especially before next weekend. So, you know, I can see them putting, you know, scoring as long as they can and, and trying to get in the end zone as long as they can. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, I like Penn State again this weekend. Curious to see the, the mindset, how they respond. Obviously, after losses over the last couple of seasons, that's not been their MO. So we'll, we'll see what happens. We've been talking all year about how it's a different locker room, that that there's been a transition. Hey, here's a test for them. If they can go out there and, and avoid what the last couple teams ran into. I, I know we have a pretty uh, pretty up-and-coming recruiting list to get to f- uh, f- for this game. But quickly, Sean, Theo Johnson no longer announcing his commitment next Monday. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you can't think that that sounds great for Penn State as the uh, reported leader and expected leader. Um, so, I mean, he's pushing it back. From talking to people around him, just sounds like he hasn't made up his mind yet, which is, you know, a little bit concerning if you're Penn State, especially he's got that Michigan official visit this weekend. He's taken those officials to Georgia, Iowa, and Penn State. They appear to be the schools that are in it. Um, you know, it's it's tough to spin this positively for Penn State, except for the fact that, you know, he just frankly hasn't made a decision yet. So I think that that's the, the thing to take away from it. Uh, Penn State's still working that one hard. I think he's a kid that's afraid to disappoint some people. I know his mom, you know, wouldn't mind having him down the road at Michigan, but still at the same time, I still loves what Penn State brings to the table. I don't think this one's over by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you don't like him pushing it back, but you still like where Penn State stands. Absolutely. And and so, as I said, th- this is coming together for a guest list that maybe will surprise some people. Uh, we'll have content up on lines 24-7 to get into some of the finer details and, and some of the more notable confirmed visitors. But 
I was very, uh, you know, it's impressive to see how Penn State has really made a lot of early inroads with Caden Saunders, a kid who is in the Columbus, Ohio area. Ohio State has not offered him yet, but a bunch of Big Ten teams have, including Penn State. Uh, the staff has really sold him on being a KJ Handler type of playmaker. He's a kid who has elite speed. He's also a, a top baseball prospect, so we'll see how that factors in his, his recruitment. He's only a sophomore, uh, but as Alan, uh, I think Alan Treyu reported this, uh, th- that he will be back on campus uh, and Penn State, and this is his second visit, unless I'm mistaken, of the season. Crystal Ball picks in for Penn State uh, from Bill Green, who covers Ohio State recruiting uh, very tightly, and then Steve Wolfong, who, of course, as I always say, if, if Steve puts a Crystal Ball pick in, your ears perk up a little bit. No doubt. No doubt about it. Saunders, a talented kid from Ohio. Of course, uh, you never know how those guys will respond if Ohio State, I think Ohio State's recruiting him as a defensive back, too, so that could help Penn State's cause there. A um, couple of other visitors shaping up. It's going to be a light a light list in terms of, you know, probably five to ten offered prospects, which is still a good turnout, but it's a noon kick. It's November. Playoffs are going on in high school, um, so you're trying to figure some things out. Jimmy Jimmy Christ, who just committed to Penn State, will be there. He was planning to make the trip uh, before his announcement came out. He's probably going to announce that this weekend. Um, guy that I'm looking to, Canadian quarterback who is playing in Virginia, uh, excuse me, in Maryland, uh, in that area. Sorry, the Bullis is right on the border there. Um, Christian Veyu, uh, this is a guy that we've talked about a bunch because you got four main targets among quarterbacks in the 2021 class. Of course, Caleb Williams is certainly there. Garrett Nussmeyer is there. Jake Rubley in Colorado. And Christian Veyu is probably the fourth guy that I point to. He's been on campus a few times. And, you know, He's got a relationship with, with some of those Canadian guys on campus. Um, and, and really, he's a pretty good player. Penn State went to see him earlier this fall. Like what he saw, or excuse me, like what they saw from him. I wouldn't label him as the top guy, but you know, if he ends up your quarterback in your class, I mean, you certainly could do a lot worse. Ontario product, uh, again, getting back to Penn State, a guy that we've heard about for a few years, currently playing at the same school uh, that Dwayne Haskins once starred at. Uh, staying on the 2021 uh, trail, I guess, because the quarterback uh, the the quarterback spot there is one that we've been enamored with a bit. Sean, in the last few minutes here, uh, a bunch of offers coming out in the last 24 hours. 2021 Cincinnati defensive back Devontae Smith gets an offer from Penn State, Oklahoma, and West Virginia. On Wednesday, 2021, Indianapolis edge rusher Kyron Montgomery, who Steve Wolfong has a story up on, says it's a dream school scenario with Penn State. Whatever you can make of that, we hear that quite a bit. He visited this summer. And then another 2021 offer going out, just as we were getting set to record this podcast, uh, down in Florida, Jacksonville wide receiver Patrick Bryant, who's at about 20 offers or so. So Penn State continuing to build out. They're now over 170 offers out the high school juniors. So Penn State, when they wrap up practice on Wednesday, the coaches will go inside. They'll start FaceTiming these prospects. Wednesday's their big contact night calling them, FaceTiming them, setting up uh, opportunities to talk with them. So that's why you see these offers coming out. And that one to Patrick Bryant just came out just before we went on the air. Devontae Smith, very interesting, visited for the whiteout. Uh, Oklahoma, West Virginia offered yesterday. I believe Tennessee offered this morning. So this kid... Uh, must be something in that junior film. I haven't checked it out yet, but uh, teams have been impressed with that. Uh, but he's already been on campus. Kyron Montgomery, he's a very interesting one. He, as you mentioned, he visited in the summer, called Penn State his, green, uh, his dream school. I mean, that one is one that came along, and you're thinking – you know, maybe that's a crystal ball. Maybe that's an opportunity for Penn State to, to jump on that or, or for him to jump on that and really, really likes Penn State. He's been out before. I wouldn't be shocked if he were back in the near future as well. So that one, I'm just kind of, you know, it's it's Indiana, so it's kind of out of the uh, out of the immediate region. But put a little asterisk beside that one because you're probably going to be coming back to that one at some point. Um, the one that's interesting to me for no other reason that 
than 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 I'm getting old is Cedric Irvin Jr., <laughs> son of former Michigan State running back Cedric Irvin. He's a 2023 prospect. He's a, he's a freshman in high school. Cedric Irvin uh, was a coach down in in my in the Miami area. I believe he just got. Uh, uh, I believe he just got fired in September for what it's worth. But, uh, man, Cedric Irvin, his father, was a heck of a running back, a fourth-round pick, I believe, in the NFL. And uh, if his son's anything like that, man, that, that kid can probably play. Yeah, brace yourself. 2023, and he is fourth 2023 offer out from Penn State. Brandon Ennis, wide receiver down in Florida. Keldrick Falk down in Alabama, defensive lineman. And then out of DeMatha Catholic, uh, there always seems to be someone there. Jason Moore, defensive lineman. By the way, sandwiched in between 21 and 23. The high school sophomores, Penn State now over 50 offers out to the class of 2022 as we continue to get older and kids stay the same age, Sean. No doubt. No doubt. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us. <laughs> um, Penn State, big, big game. Uh, you weren't really saying that coming into the season. Probably weren't saying that about Minnesota last weekend either. Penn State, big, big game on Saturday. We will be back to talk about it after the game, uh, hopefully wrapping up a Nittany Lions win. But uh, for Tyler Donahue, I'm Sean Fitz. Thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. We'll see you Saturday. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.